Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 296 of Linux in the Hampshire. This is our short format episode. And we're going to talk about some open source and amateur radio topics. And then we're going to blend the two together in our Linux in the Hamshack segment. And uh, hopefully we'll have a good time doing all that because you have tuned into the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the Internet. And if you don't believe me, just look up the archaic meaning of the word terrific. And while we're on the subject of terrific, I guess we'll introduce ourselves. I'm Russ K5TUX, and I'll introduce Cheryl W5MOO who is not here right now because she's learning how to roll sushi, and I can't wait till she comes back with all that new knowledge so that whenever we have sushi parties, I don't have to be the one rolling all the time. Uh, and then we also have... Bill, NE4RD, good evening. All right, very good. So uh, Cheryl should be here uh, in time to record the next episode, but she is not going to be here to record episode 296. So we'll have to struggle and make do without her unfortunately but that being said we're gonna have bill hit our lead topic for the night and uh, tell us all about the stem program yeah yeah so I, I had the opportunity today so this is like you know breaking news breaking news i had the opportunity today to uh to run a little stem program for uh kids at our local bookstore and uh i signed up for this at the beginning of the year so <laughs> i said i can't do anything in july because i'm just out of town and they're like okay we'll put something in august for you so uh sure enough they put in a uh, topic of uh radio in the modern era and uh with an emphasis on morse code so uh so i took all my stuff down to the bookstore and was uh in front of uh, 13 kids let's see about uh, i'd say probably from age five to about 12. uh so not too bad a crowd for a little indie bookstore and i was able to present on uh on amateur radio and radio in general um and uh, and i did morse code as well so they learned a little bit of morse code they did a little decoding exercise with uh, just the chart and some uh, some blanks, and then they also did their name, and they were able to send their name uh, with uh, some street keys that I had borrowed from K2BSA because <laughs> I was like, oh, we have these street keys. Let me borrow those. I got a thing in two weeks. <laughs> I'll return them in two years because <laughs> uh, I'll be back in two years. Uh, so, yeah, so I had those, and I brought my... Um, uh, two of my uh, paddles uh, so they could try out what an electronic keyer does and uh, the kids had a lot of fun uh, kind of playing around with the little oscillator on the straight key you know because it goes <laughs> i could bring it over here to make noise but I, I i still have it packed up in the truck um but it was a it was a lot of fun and i've done a lot of demos before with um 
uh, scouts, obviously, for uh, Jamboree on the air and stuff like that. So it was it was a little uh, different for me just because of the age range. And uh, it was kind of interesting. The little five-year-old, when I had the uh, web SDR up, I was showing them open uh, WebRx uh, on the SDRHU page. And the kid's like, it's a fish finder. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it kind of is a fish finder. And we kind of, uh, uh, kind of, you know, jumped off of that and, uh, and showed them all about, uh, you know, finding the fish inside of the uh, fish finder. So it was a lot of fun. And, uh, I, I kind of just winged the whole thing as I do everything I do. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I don't prepare for anything. I, I got off a conference call like 30 minutes before I had to run downtown, uh, throwing all my stuff in the truck and uh, heading down that way. So I had uh, zero prep time. In fact, I brought a whiteboard with me to to detail some stuff. And uh, the only word that got on the whiteboard was the word radio. And uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was trying not to be very abstract. And it was hard because <laughs> there's so many things in, in, in radio that are that are fairly abstract. And uh, I think the the one thing that I, I used and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that it's the greatest, uh, you know, kind of analogy i guess or reference was uh that radio is nothing more than the ability to take something you can't see or can't hear and allow you to hear it or see it as in you know on your phone you can see the visual images that are being transmitted via radio to your phone unlike youtube and all the video apps and you know sound that you hear with music it's just you know something you can't see the radio waves being transformed into the band that you actually can hear and use your sensory organs for. So it was kind of fun. And uh, again, I highly recommend it. If you have an opportunity to do it, um, just do it. Even if you don't think you can, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it was very fun. We kind of blew, blew through about uh, probably about 35, 40 minutes before we stopped to do this, the Morse code exercise and, uh, so it was, uh, it was, it was interesting and they were all looking at me the whole time. So I, I'm pretty sure I didn't lose many people's attention, but, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, if you have any local community organizations doing STEM programs, get in there and show them radio, uh, you know, even if it's very high level stuff, not necessarily amateur radio, I think the, uh, kids really, uh, get a good benefit from it. And we had quite a few, uh, quite a few homeschoolers and stuff like that in there and they were learning uh, uh morse code for other things like they have uh especially hiking up here you have whistles and stuff like that and a lot of those little whistles that the kids carry have a little morse code chart on it as well so we were able to tie it the morse code piece into things that they see when they go out and go hiking and stuff like that and uh yeah a lot of fun uh do it do it do it if you have the chance all right, very good. Sounds interesting, <clears throat> and I'm sure a lot of like local libraries and stuff like that, and bookstores would allow a presentation on that. If you just want to get something set up, you probably don't even need, um, you know, like an official club or anything. Um, so you can get some people interested. But yeah, I didn't even plug in a radio. It was really good. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The only thing I actually had decoding signals was a web SDR because the kids kind of like that little display. But you know, I had my other radios with me and. We kind of talked to vaguely about, you know, you know, the little walkie talkie and how it's, you know, short ranged and how my little mountain topper radio, my little KX one 
can go long range because of the frequencies and, and the wire antenna and stuff like that. And they were really interested in that kind of stuff. So I'm sure could probably put together some kind of real program <laughs> if I put some time <laughs> into it with uh, more of an outline of how I should should go over stuff. But uh, I just kind of rambled on and uh, uh, allowed them to ask questions and then kind of jumped off their questions with uh, kind of a more topic uh, suited to whatever they wanted and uh, and went from there. So I was able to you know keep them engaged for the hour that was scheduled and uh, the kids had snacks and had fun. All right. Sounds excellent. So we're going to move on to some more amateur radio topics, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, some stuff that's coming up. This particular topic is more of an announcement than a topic, but the thing, uh, the event that's happening was going to come out about the same time as the next episode, so I wanted to get this in here. This is not technically a story, but uh, the title of it is New Aspects of VHF Propagation. Uh, The South Bay Amateur Radio Club will be sponsoring a lecture about that very topic the speaker awrl los angeles section manager will show how a basic understanding of the principles of electromagnetic radiation to predict long distance communication is possible this may be used to predict conditions favorable to long distance operations on vhf frequencies with equipment readily available to amateur radio operators this presentation is open to all those interested in amateur radio communications and is free uh because i believe it is part of the uh club like presentation and i'm looking up to see what the club is i think it's uh this is whiskey six what is it i lost it already (laughs) (laughs) whiskey six sierra bravo alpha w6sba and this is in torrance california so if you happen to be out that way and can sit in on this presentation i'm sure they would love to have you so there you go there's always a need for more people doing weak signal vhf work so Yep, absolutely. Because then you can get in on those uh, distance contests. Yes, distance contests. And uh, you learn all about the various modes and propagation that you can get. And, you know, let's say like uh, tropospheric ducting and all that good fancy stuff and meteor scatter and a lot of fun stuff out there in the VHF land uh, beyond FM. Absolutely. Our next topic is... A final countdown on the ILLW. With only a few days to go, registrations for the 22nd International Lighthouse Lightship Weekend are nearing the 400 mark. Germany is leading the field with 57 entries, close, closely followed by the USA with 56. <clears throat> That's part of the competition, I guess, is activations. <clears throat> Australia is a credible third with uh, 40 entries, which represents about 10% of its total lighthouse numbers. A uh, new country in the event is the uh, U.S. Virgin Island, with Buck Island Lighthouse being registered for the first time. The ILLW is now in its 22nd year, having started in 1993 as the Northern Lights Award run by the Air Amateur Radio Group in Scotland. It has become one of the most popular events in amateur radio calendar. The usual batch of late entries is expected over the next few days, which should put a total around 430. Numbers are not important, although that's all they told us about, uh, as long as all those who enter enjoy the weekend and show the public what lighthouses are all about and how they need to be protected. And that comes to us from the Southgate ARC, and we also include a link to the ILLW's website in the show notes. All right, very good. There's a ton well, you know, at least 400 activations on that. So we're, we'll talk about some more of those in the next episode when we outline some of the special events and everything coming up. Uh, but if you want to contact lighthouses, 
this coming weekend is the time to do it. And uh, also, we have uh, a topic we've mentioned on previous episodes, but this is a new incarnation of the Yota Summer Camp, Young Amateurs on the Air. Uh, the ninth annual Yota Summer Camp opened over the weekend with pomp, circumstance, and celebratory dancing. I'm not sure that happens every time, but apparently it happened this time. This year's summer camp is taking place in Bankia, Bulgaria. Approximately 80 young radio amateurs from 28 countries arrived in Bankia on August 11th. They'll be engaging in a range of activities from operating the camp station, Lima Zulu 19 Yankee Oscar Tango Alpha, LZ19 Yoda, to building kits and antennas, sightseeing, and getting acquainted. Given the international nature of amateur radio, cultural exchange won't be in short supply. The typical Yoda intercultural evening group work and the training the trainer program instituted at last year's summer camp will also be taking place. The Yoda summer camp in Bulgaria continues through August 17th. Last year's Yoda camp, as we mentioned, was held in South Africa. So it's cool that they jump around like that. Yeah, yeah and I hear... there were quite a few countries represented too. Um, they they actually listed in the article all the countries that were there, and I didn't put that in here, but they're from everywhere. So it's kind of neat that people are able to get away from wherever they are and go to some faraway lands. Yeah, and I hear that uh, that Neil Rapp is working on a Yoda camp as well here in the U.S. So stay tuned for that. Hopefully, uh, as that solidifies, we can uh, maybe. Uh, do a deep dive into it with uh, with Neil and uh, kind of see where it's going and uh, and what they're doing and how it's going to work. Yeah, because I remember when we first started talking about Yoda that there was very little activity in IARU Region Two. Um, it's it's almost entirely Region One. So yeah, it'd be cool to bring it here. Absolutely. All right. So you put this article in since we're yeah. shifting gears in open source. So uh, talk about this. This is uh, kind of a uh, Kind of a milestone here. <laughs> this is kind of a milestone and deja vu. Uh, on, <laughs> on August 7, 2019, the Linux Journal shut its doors for good. All the staff were laid off, and the company is left with no operating funds to continue in any capacity. The website will continue to stay up for the next few weeks. However, longer for archival purposes, if we can make it happen. And that's from the Linux Journal LLC. I found this at a, uh, I didn't get the original message from anywhere, but this article that I found here in the, in the, uh, uh, I think it was the opensource.com, uh, linked it. Yeah. Opensource.com linked it. It's called Goodbye Linux Journal. And it's, uh, entitled the Linux Journal's coverage from 1994 to 2019 highlighted the Linux's rise to an enterprise platform that runs the majority of the world's servers and services. Now, if you remember a couple of years ago, it shut down again. <laughs> <laughs> Back in 2017, it shut down and uh, was given a lifeline to uh, stay uh, in an electronic form uh, from a company here. I'm assuming the the Linux Journal LLC. I forget the actual original company that uh, that bought the asset and uh, decided to continue it. But it looks like it's it's done for good. So uh, you know, you got the archive from 1994 to 2019. It has been a good source of information as well as, you know, the various other, uh, you know, non-print media sites that give information on uh, Linux, including this one. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not surprising, but uh, here we go again. It's, it's, it's down. So uh, if you were a subscriber of the Electronic Journal, you probably already got noticed that it is no longer going to be continued. Yep. 
uh, disappointing for the second time, I guess, until it gets revived and then we have to go through this again in five years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're waiting, right? It'll be like another month here. Oh, yeah, someone saved the Linux journal. (laughs) It it might be a non-story again. (laughs) Right. It might uh, reincarnate in a different form or something. You know, those things can happen. So. All right, so the next story is Huawei announces Harmony OS, an open source platform for every device. Hmm, it's not the first time we've heard about one of these. Huawei <laughs> kicked off its annual developer conference today, and it's just announced Harmony OS. The new open source platform is ostensibly the final name for its Hongmeng OS. Harmony OS is the, quote, first microkernel-based distributed OS for all scenarios. Consumer Group CEO Richard Yu told attendees at the Huawei Developer Conference, the new platform supports smartphones, smart speakers, computers, smartwatches, wireless earbuds, cars, and tablets. In fact, Yu says the platform supports RAM sizes ranging from kilobytes to gigabytes. Interestingly enough, Huawei says Harmony OS won't support root access. (laughs) (laughs) That comes to us from Android Authority. Denied. <laughs> yeah, respect my authority. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I have I've heard this compared to uh to Fuchsia OS as very similar in their their wording. <laughs> and one thing Harmony OS is missing, of course, is a an Android layer to actually execute Android apps, meaning all the apps in Android would have to be recompiled for this new SDK and platform. So don't expect uh, a lot of magic to occur at this point. I think they're uh, they're trying to get all the pieces and parts out there, including the, the the software development kit and whatnot, drum up support for a community that will drive this operating system forward. But uh, you know, uh, if you're just a consumer, this really means absolutely nothing to you because you will not use it because there is no apps on it. So get over it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if it were an Android only OS, you know, my favorite, uh, uh, you know, Chinese OS would be Oxygen OS that you get on the OnePlus phones. It's about the best version of Android. <laughs> if right. you like a Google Android, it's, it's really the best one out there. Um, but I don't see that growing beyond the OnePlus, uh, 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 handsets, um, or smartphones, whatever you want to call them. Um, but yeah, yeah, keep an eye out on this one. We'll see where it goes and see how it develops out there and see if it gets any traction. You know, Huawei has been, of course, in the news a lot lately for uh, getting cut off by the uh, current administration due to, uh, uh, let's say, less than secure uh, backdoor stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, I'm sure that's as, uh, as true as anything else that, uh, that is out there. So, uh, yeah, take that with, uh, with a grain of salt. All right. Will do. So if you want to find out more about that, check out the link in the show notes. Uh, Bill is now going to tell us about. Yeah, we're going to mine the gap. Oh, my oh, goodness. No. I felt like I was in the tube or something like that when I ran across this article or actual report. <laughs> Uh, Mind the Gap. It's a landscape analysis of open source publishing tools and platforms. And this is an MIT report, which is always interesting. You can find some real interesting stuff over there uh, from the uh, MIT folks. But uh, this report came out and I saw it linked in Hacker News and I kind of dug into it and just grabbed the first few uh, paragraphs just to kind of give you a, a taste of what it is. 
And this is, let's see, this is a number of open source uh, online plat- publishing platforms, i.e. production and hosting systems for scholarly books and journals launched or in, in development has proliferated in the last decade. Uh, many of these publishing infrastructure initiatives are well-developed, stable, and supported by a small but vigorous distributed community of developers. Hey, 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 open source. But promising new ventures have always recently launched. Uh, the notable increase in the number of OS platforms suggests that the infrastructure ecology is emerging around these systems, distinguishing between systems that may evolve along competitive lines and those that will resolve into a service stack of related complementary service technologies will help potentially uh, will help potential adopters understand how these platforms can or should interoperate. In 2018, the MIT Press secured a grant from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation to conduct a landscape pinky and the brain analysis there's the pinky and the brain uh, <laughs> reference, reference from yeah 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 the open source publishing system suggests sustainability models that can be adopted to ensure that these systems fully support research communications and provide durable alternatives to complex and costly proprietary services john maxwell at the simon fraser university in vancouver conducted the environmental scan and compiled this report and you can find this report over on pubpub.org it's freely available, and I suggest just taking a look at it. It's a it's a good uh, a good overview of everything that's out there, and uh, where where we've kind of grown it to in the last uh, ten years. So uh, definitely uh, definitely a worth uh, worthwhile uh, free view at stuff. Um, I don't think if you're in the business, it's interesting because obviously you're probably already in the know of everything that's new out there and that's happening. But uh, definitely a great uh, a great resource for those that are maybe new into the area or want to learn a little bit more about frameworks and uh, systems out there that uh, exist in the open source uh, environment. All right. Very good. So that sounds interesting. And if you want more information on that, check out the, the link that goes to pubpub.org and you can get all the info from that MIT report. So moving on to Linux in the Hamshack, we have some software updates, things that have come out recently. Actually, QSS TV released two uh, quick updates right back to back. Uh, the 943 release, which came out on August 3rd, um, added some C++ greatness if you're into programming with that <laughs> uh they, is that really great <laughs> i don't know if it's great or not but they uh they fixed some stuff with the compiling they added macro text uh for strings of a signal report snr in the templates uh changed some well made some change in test ftp connections improved sync detection in sstv mode updated their documentation lowered the audio level of wfid and provided a number of small bug fixes. That was in 9.4.3. And then the day later, they put out 9.4.4 because apparently they found out they needed to fix something in the basic graphic item.c++ CPP file, uh, indicating that it requires a specific version of C++, and they changed that so the auto declaration did not fail. So if you uh, have a good mind, you can update your QSS TV to the latest version, which was released just a few short days ago. And obviously that won't be in the repos. So if you're interested in any of these fixes, you need to uh, go in and compile it yourself for now. Um, I didn't go and find a, uh, an actual, uh, uh, launch pad PPA if there is one. Uh, so, uh, if, if I happen to find one later on, I'll plug it in here into the show notes and I'll add that as a link in the show notes. Should you be interested in having that latest version on your system? 
Uh, our second uh, item that came in is uh, FL Digi and FL Rig releases a new alpha, uh, 4.1.07.2. Hey, we got to have lots of numbers. So uh, <laughs> we got, got all kinds of releases. So this is an alpha release. So, uh, you know, buyer beware. Uh, don't don't run this if you really need it to, to work. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, the, uh, FL Digi got updated for, uh, for, for Windows, basically. I know, I know I had to mention it, but you know, <laughs> Windows 10 write log. So now Win 10 write to file hosting, uh, ho- hosing up records. So basically when you were using write log as your, uh, as your, uh, remote logger, it was hosing up the, the records in the files. So that's been fixed. If uh, you happen to use that, if you're using N3 FJP, it also fixed some stuff with the uh, set locale and uh, looks like some uh, frequency as well was fixed there. And along with that, FL Rig was also released in the same alpha version. So we can we can probably expect this to go to beta and then, then full release probably, you know, probably within the next few months. Uh, FL Rig improvements uh, uh, for the IC 746, 756. Uh, the transceiver does not support, uh, get split. So apparently there's some issues there. Uh, 857897D, we're missing the, uh, PTT control properly. So if you happen to have that rig and you're using FL rig as your rig control, you might want to try out this alpha version. And then if you have the FT450D, which I happen to have, uh, they fixed the S meter scale and the split on VFOB. So, uh, if these have been any issues for you, uh, you know, go ahead and check out the alpha version and, and please report back any feedback to the authors on this and, uh, help them get this next version out to, uh, general release. And I linked in, uh, both, uh, both, uh, messages in the, in the mailing list. Uh, so that's what you'll find in the, uh, in the, uh, in the show notes for this particular article. All right, very good. So updates to some highly used ham radio applications just recently released. Of course, you know, unless you can find a PPA, uh, these are going to be source builds only. Uh, but of course, this stuff will get rolled up into packages and released at some point in the future. But for some, you know, especially for like the 857 and 897D fix, uh, yeah, you might want to roll with that one if you can, if you have one of those rigs. So. All right. Well, that has actually brought us down to the end of our topics for the night. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a quick gander over at the chat room and see if anybody else wants to wave a hand at us and let us know they've been listening in the chat. i only have a, a couple of folks that we know for sure are listening. Uh, but there's a lot of people who show like they could be, they're just not saying anything. So, <laughs> uh, if anyone wants to, uh, to get mentioned, feel free to, uh, indicate thusly. Uh, but for those folks we do know who are in there, we have Ted WA0EIR, uh, we have Darren VK6EK, and we have Don KC9ZMY. So if anybody else wants to get mentioned real quick before I jump into the social media roundup, well, I'll, I'll, I'll check back here uh, you know, if anyone wants to say anything. Or if you have any questions or comments about the episode so far uh, that we can address, definitely put those in there. Uh, and in the meantime, while you're thinking about that, I'll go through the social media roundup. So for our Patreons, we have Erno Casatlos, who is brand new. So thank you for becoming a Patreon of the show, Erno. We also have Randolph Smith, David Jaquay, J- Doug Rudder, Stephen Harp, Andy Webster, Pete Caffrey, Cubicle Nate, Darren King, Donald Gover, John Spriggs, Jonas Rulo, Paul Griffith, Robert Pitt, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Sainer, and William Heckelman. Our PayPal subscribers are Michael Brydak, Fry- Fred Cole, Randolph Smith, Kevin Ivey, Bill Collins, Tony Coberly, James Lewis, 
Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Todd Bowers, Thor Wiegman, Charlie Brown, Wayne Carpenter, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Robert Ike, Robert Yerke, Ronald Ike, sorry, Robert Yerke, Michael Conley, and Jeremy Hall. Over on Facebook, we had Sean Minchins and David Maydew. Why is David Maydew's name familiar? I don't know. I don't know either, but hmm, somebody just showed up. Yeah, I could tell. <laughs> I've been in the house for 20 minutes. So. <laughs> well, you got here just in time not to do the social media roundup. Yep, that's the reason why I was avoiding you. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, David Maydew is a name that seems familiar to me for some reason, and I just don't know why. I should look it up. But anyway, uh, they liked us over on Facebook. So we also have some Twitter folks, the underscore radio underscore op, Martorius underscore puck, and Ramblin' John. And over on YouTube, we had Black Dog. No mailing list uh, folks signed up this time and no merch sales. So that gets us down to the end. Let's jump back to the chat room real quick. And nope, don't see any other any other names in there. Uh, but Cheryl will actually be able to sign off for the sign off okay. <laughs> since you're here now. Uh, but I think that does it. So we want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode of Linux in the Sham. <laughs> Linux in the Sham, sham Shack. Shack. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a good It's one. a sham. Yeah. And a little never, never more there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never more appropriate. Okay. <laughs> but we do appreciate everybody tuning in, and we hope everybody has a good week coming up. And uh, hope you'll tune in for the next episode as well. So with that, we're going to wrap up episode number 296. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or hamper. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.
in the Hamshack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.